I am a firm believer we can know who God is. We can know what God is. He's not trying to keep himself a secret. There are limitations, and the limitations are because of our finite minds. We're dealing with the infinite, the eternal, because compared to our few years on this planet uh, in which we have our finite minds, we can only conceive of so much. Hello, and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sunday School Podcast. What is theology? The word theology can seem intimidating at first, but all it really means is the study of God. Join us in beginning a new Sunday School series called Intro to Theology. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. It is wonderful to be back in our adult Sunday School lesson. Uh, We are starting a new series today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be primarily in Psalm number 14. Psalm number 14. We just finished last week a series on Elijah. And I don't know about you, but I had a great time in that series. Uh, This week, we're going to start a new series. And I didn't really know what to call it. I really thought about calling it Intro to Theology or Theology 101. Uh, But the key word there is theology. Now, some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, he's using big words now. Let me break this down because theology is central to our understanding. The word theology, theos, means God. Ology means the study of. So theology is the study of God. Not all the stuff about God, but God. It's the study of God. So we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks talking about God. Who is God? What is God? How does God operate? We're going to be looking at the personhood of God. And we're going to be getting into some pretty interesting concepts as we get into this study of God. Now, some of you may be wondering why I want to uh, get into a study of God, a theology study. Most of you know I have my doctorate, and my doctorate is in theology. It's in the study of God. Why did I choose this particular program to study? Why am I choosing this particular program as far as teaching? There's a quote that has highly influenced me. Uh, It's not a biblical quote. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Many of you recognize the name Spurgeon. Spurgeon is by far a master theologian, a prince of the preachers. He's one of the greatest pastors in the history of the church. And, uh, you know, anybody who's done work studying about the Bible, you've run into Spurgeon. You you can't really be a preacher or teacher of the gospel without running into Spurgeon a lot. But there's a quote from Spurgeon that that has had a major effect on my life. And I want to share that quote with you today. This is what he said. The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead. Now I'm going to stop there for just a second. The proper study of the Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. If, if I really want to study, I need to study the Godhead. I need to study God. He said the highest science, the loftiest speculation... The mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. 
If I really want to be a Christian delving into the study of the word, I need to focus my attention on the, what, what did he say? The name, nature, person, work, doings, and existence of the great God. We need to center on who is God? What is God? That's what theology is all about. Who is God? What is God? The name, the nature. I like, I just love his list. The person, the work, the doings, the existence of God. So we are going to uh, have a study over the next few weeks on the person of God. I want to say as we're getting into this, there is no way in three, four, five weeks of study that I can cover theology. There is no way I can get into this study in the thoroughness that, uh, you know, uh, the, the thoroughness that we need to be at. I mean, I went back to school. I got a doctorate in the field. And I still am very reserved to call myself a theologian. Uh, I don't know that I'm a theologian because that, that's a lofty concept. Uh, a concept of, do I really understand who God is, what God is? So we're going to do some basic stuff, but I think some fun stuff to reassure us in our faith. That's the whole point of this. It's the reassurance of our faith. Because without that, uh, why are we here? Why are we watching the video or listening to the CD? It's the reassurance of our faith. I want to start off with a word of prayer. Father, we're starting a new series today, A Study of You. Uh, Lord, Paul said we look through a glass darkly, but, but soon we're going to see you face to face. Lord, right now, we're just trying to get a glimpse through that dark glass. We're trying to know you more. We're trying to know you and get close to you, to love you and over, over abundantly love you and know you. Lord, I pray now that as we just look through this glass a little more, as we're trying to get another glimpse of you, that, Lord, you will make yourself known to us. Help us, Lord, to know you. Help us, Lord, to relate to you. Help us, Lord, in our love and our belief of you. And, Lord, we just give you honor and praise for this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout time immemorial, people have been asking certain questions. Uh, it's, it, it, has been the, the, it, it has been these two questions that people have asked throughout all of the time since human beings have been on the planet. The first question is simply, is there a God? Does God exist? And the second question, if there is a God, has that God spoken to us or revealed himself so that we can know him? In other words, question number one, does God exist? Question number two, can I know God? Does, does he know me and can I know him? Uh, because even if the first question is true, does God exist? That answer being yes, it's hard to deal with anything if we can't answer the second one is yes, can I know him? I am a firm believer we can know who God is. We can know what God is. He's not trying to keep himself a secret. There are limitations, and the limitations are because of our finite minds. We're dealing with the infinite, the eternal, as compared to our few years on this planet uh, in which we have our finite minds. We can only conceive of so much. And so, the, and so the limitation is not on God trying to reveal himself. He's, he's, he is revealing himself. The problem is on our side, trying to understand the revelation. But I believe God's desire is for us to know him. Paul said, and I love this verse, that I may know him and the power of his uh, sufferings. 
Uh, that I may know him, Paul said. Not know about him, but know him. That, you know, we are dealing with this issue of God. And I, I guess my first lesson in this series is God is real. That's the, you know, if I have to give this lesson a title, it's that God is real. It's fascinating to me that out of the 41,173 verses in the Bible, one half of one verse, it deals with the atheist. One half of one verse deals with the atheist. Of the 774,746 words in the Bible, only 11 words deal with the atheist. Just 11, that's it. Uh, but those 11 words, big things can come in small packages. God has a lot to say in those 11 words. And that one half of one verse, there's a lot to say about the atheist in that little bit of time, uh, in that little bit of space. Uh, and so I want to deal with what God says. We're in Psalm number 14. And this is what we're dealing with in verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, we have on the one hand what man has said, there is no God. And we have God's response, you're a fool. That, that, that's simply the way it is. In other words, it's hard to conceive how some of the brightest men that apparently have ever lived on the planet, they don't believe in God. There are PhDs in leading universities who can intellectually understand complex concepts. Even Einstein's E equals MC squared. But they don't even know their spiritual ABCs. They don't know where to get started spiritually. They can see a car. They can believe in the manufacturer. They can see a portrait. And they believe in the artist. They can see a book. And they believe in the author. But when they see the creation of the planet, they have a hard time believing in the creator. I don't understand uh, how the atheist can do it for the other things, but when it comes to the creation of the planet, they don't understand that there's intelligent life behind it, that there's a creator of the creation. <laughs> a little joke I was reading, and I, and, and I have to share with you. Uh, an atheist was complaining one day and said, why is it that the Christians have all the holidays? They have things like Christmas and Easter. And, uh, and the Christian responded and said, Oh, you have a holiday too. It's called April 1st. April Fool's Day. <laughs> because God said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So yeah, you have your holiday as well. Your holiday is April Fool's Day. Now, when we're dealing with this issue of atheism, I believe there are two types of atheists. Two different types, and I want to talk about them for just a minute. There is the intellectual atheist, and then there's the practical atheist. And the intellectual atheist and the practical atheist. The intellectual atheist is the person who simply believes there's no God. The person hasn't come to the mental conclusion yet that there is a God. You know, I can deal pretty easily with the intellectual atheist. If, if atheism is based upon intellectual issues, uh, just like Paul had to reason with Felix, uh, just, you know, just like Paul went to, uh, went to Mars Hill and, 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 and he dealt with the, uh, the, the unbelievers. He said, let me tell you who the unknown God is. I can deal with the intellectual atheist. I can deal with the intellectual who follows some other type of world religion even. Uh, we can, you know, I can really deal with that person. The problem 
is the practical atheist. This is the person who behaves as if there's no God. The person who behaves as if there's no God. The practical atheist. This is the person, the foolish person, uh, who says, yeah, I believe in God. But he never prays to him, never lives for him, never works for him. That's a practical atheist. Yeah, I believe in God, but there's no evidence of it. There's no prayer. There's no living for him. There's no working for him. The foolish person who says, yeah, I believe the Bible's the word of God, but he never reads it. He doesn't obey it. That's the practical atheist. Yeah, I believe the Bible's the word of God, but there's no evidence of believing the Bible's the word of God. The foolish person is the one who says, yeah, I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. But if you really believed in heaven and hell, it's the fool who doesn't tell others about heaven or hell. Doesn't tell others about the glories of heaven and how to miss hell. Because if you really believed, you'd be doing all, all you could to tell about heaven and to tell about the dangers of hell. The foolish person is the one who says they believe that Sunday is the Lord's day and the church is the Lord's house. But then they spend every Sunday at the lake, at the golf course, in the swimming pool, doing everything possible not to be in the house of God. Now I want to say something. Uh, I want to qualify that a bit. Right now we can't, we can't assemble. Uh, but it is, it is wonderful when we see online the number of people who are watching the videos in YouTube, watching the videos, Facebook, watching the videos uh, in some of the podcasts and so on. It's wonderful to see the hits that we're getting. It's also wonderful that we deliver CDs to, to, to many people who don't have the Internet access. Why? They have a desire to hear. They have a desire to worship. Those are the people who are not foolish. Uh, even though we can't assemble right now, they have the desire to assemble. They're not trying to miss church. Uh, pastor has already talked to us. There are, there are people who are saying we need to do other things. We need to find a way to get together because they want to be at the Lord's house. But there are some people before this COVID crisis ever hit who would say, yeah, I believe in going to church on Sunday, but you never saw them. They, uh, when did they ever darken? Some people come to church at Easter and Christmas and hopefully, well, at least one of those. And but yeah, they are a member of the church and they love the church. No, they don't. No, they don't. They are the practical atheists. They say, yeah, I believe, but they don't. Because if they truly believe, their actions would back up the belief. So we have the intellectual atheist. We have the practical atheist. What is God's response? He says, you are a fool. Now, I'm not calling anybody a fool. The Bible even warns me about doing that. But I'm going to tell you something, when God calls you a fool, you're a fool. I don't know how to say, you're just a fool. Uh, when we try to conceptualize of who and what God is, and then we don't act upon what we know to be true, that makes us a fool. And so, you know, uh, you tell a child, don't touch the stove, it's hot. The child hasn't gained the intelligence yet of what that means. Let him put his hand on the fire one time. That's really all it should take. Two things will happen at that point. Number one, the child will learn, don't put your hand in the fire, it hurts. That's number one. But then number two, when someone else starts to reach for the fire, the kid will go, no, 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 don't do that, it hurts. That's a smart person. You see what I'm saying? The fool goes back the second, third, fourth time, putting your hand in the fire. 
That, you know, didn't you learn the first time, second time, third time, that this doesn't work? Ladies and gentlemen, when God calls you a fool, you are a fool. Now, what are the consequences of this? The consequence of being the fool is that you turn to filth. You turn to the degraded world society. Notice verse 3 of this psalm. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. I want to, people talk about, you shouldn't refer to the Hebrew and Greek as much. And, and, and my response is you should refer to it anytime you get insight. That's going to help you understand something. Uh, <laughs> the word corrupt in this verse has an interesting Hebrew word. Uh, because the definition of that word helps us understand what God is talking about here. The word for corrupt in this verse literally means soured milk. It literally means soured milk. Have you ever taken milk out of the refrigerator that's been out of date, put it on a bowl of cereal or something, and did not realize it was soured till it got to your mouth or in your mouth? Have you ever had soured milk in your mouth? Have you ever... I've done this at school when I was a kid. They let the milk go out of date when they shouldn't have. You open up that carton of milk and you don't realize it. You start to chug the little thing of milk and you spit it out. Because what is, what is in your mouth is corrupt. It's soured milk. It's really, really bad. Now, this is God's way of drawing a picture of the corrupt who don't believe in him. They are the soured milk of the planet. They are the filthy they are, they are the things that you vomit up and get rid of. You hate to call that about people, but that's exactly what he's saying. You are corrupt. You're soured milk. You are worth one thing, vomit. Get you out. Uh, because it is the filth of the way. Uh, they are corrupt. They've done, this is verse one. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none who does good. Think about it this way. Where there is no God, there is no good. For as Jesus said to the rich young ruler, only God is good. If there is no God, then there is no good, then there is no judgment, and there is no hell. If there's no judgment, no hell, then you can live any way you choose without repercussions or consequences. Why do people not want to accept God? Why do they want to be foolish? Why do they want to be uh, soured milk? They don't want the consequences of their actions. See, we live in a society where there are several, several controls on people's actions. And people don't want to be controlled. As a kid growing up, you have family law. For example, as a, as a kid, my bedtime was 8.30. Now, other people had, had other bedtimes. And that was my argument to mom many times. Can I, can I stay up to 9 o'clock? Family law was 8.30. Now, every once in a while, she'd let me stay up to 9 o'clock. But, but if I didn't go to bed at 8.30, there was a consequence because I didn't obey what mom said. Now, there came a time when mom said, you can stay up to 9 o'clock or 9.30. She let the time go on. But there was a consequence. And she realized something, that when she finally took the time limit off, I would have to learn consequences the hard way. You see, there, there came a time when mom said, there is no time limit. You can stay up as long as you want. And mom knew exactly what would happen. I'd stay up to midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock. And then what would happen? 
be time to go to school the next morning. And I didn't want to school. I didn't feel, I did not want to go to school. Mom, you know, mom knew what was happening. I don't feel well, mom. I need to stay home. And mom's response was, get up. You're going. The consequence is you're going to school. But mom, I don't feel well. Oh, you felt well enough at midnight last night. Get up. Let's go. People don't like to face the consequences of their actions. If I speed down the road, there's governmental law. If I speed down the road, what happens? The cop pulls me over. In fact, fact, this morning coming out of my house, there was a cop right behind me. Speed limit was 30 miles an hour. I went 29. I did not feel like getting a ticket because I knew if I went 31, he had the right to pull me over and give me a ticket. And I wasn't going to go 31. Uh Uh-uh. Speed limit 30. That's exactly what I did. I don't have an extra few hundred bucks to pay a city of White House ticket. Uh, so I, so I didn't do that. The same thing is true with God. They don't want to face consequences. They don't want to deal with consequences of their actions. They want to be corrupt. They want to be soured milk. They want to do abominations and they don't want somebody saying that's worthy of hell. That's worthy of judgment. That's worthy of repercussion. That's worthy of consequence. They don't want someone to say that in this case, God, but Psalm ten thirteen says, why do the wicked denounce God? He has said in a heart, he has said in his heart, you will not require an account. The person who goes and lives life any way he wants to without the spiritual consequences believes in his heart. God will not require an accounting that there is no judgment. I am here to tell you there is a judgment. You will give an account. Everybody will give an account saved or lost. Everybody will give an account. That is what the Bible promises. Some people have just labeled it as judgment day. You, there is a judgment day for everybody. You will give an account. The, the scriptures tell us there are at least three characteristics of anybody who denies the reality of God. First of all, the foolish are marked by ignorance. That's the first characteristic. They are marked by ignorance. They're fools. The Lord looks, this is verse two, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Notice that if there are any who understand, do you understand that being, being a denier of God, being, a, being an atheist will bring consequence. Number two, the foolish are marked by intolerance, intolerance. Verse four. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? Here's one thing I've noticed. We, we, we live in a much more liberal society today than what we did when I was growing up. When I was growing up in the Bible Belt, it seemed like everybody went to church. Uh, it seemed like everybody was infused uh, into a belief in God. And over time, society has drastically changed. They call us as Christians as people who are intolerant. They say that we are intolerant of other groups. When in reality, we are the ones who are not being tolerated. The the prejudice is against us because we have a stand for God. They don't want to tolerate us anymore. They They don't want to hear the sermons of Jesus loves you. They don't want to hear the sermons of heaven. They don't want to hear the sermons of hell. They don't want to hear sermons at all. They have stopped tolerating us. And they've tried to marginalize us. They have tried to push us to the outer rim of the society. When in reality, God should be at the center of our society. So it's marked by intolerance. Jesus even edified this in John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Jesus said they hate me because I tell them they're wrong. 
That's why they don't like us as Christians, because we tell them that they're wrong. In John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus said, yeah, the world may hate you, but it's because they don't, they don't, they don't like me either. Because they try to marginalize Christ, they try to marginalize us as well. Finally, the foolish are marked by indifference. Verse number four, last part of it. Do not call on the Lord. They just simply don't care. Have you ever dealt with, with, with apathetic, apathetic people, pe people who are full of apathy, who just don't care? Even in things of the world, I've had students who will come into class who just don't care. They don't care to work or not to work. They don't care if they, if they get an A or an F. And, you know, as a teacher, I can't make a student work. I can try to motivate. I can try to set the expectations. I can do. But if a student simply doesn't care, what am I supposed to do? The same thing is true as a, uh, as a preacher and as a teacher of the word of God. Some people just don't care. You tell them about heaven, you tell them about hell. You tell them, you tell them about salvation or being lost. And they're apathetic. They simply do not care. They don't call on the name of the Lord. Now, we've been dealing with the atheist. But this lesson is that God is real. And that's what I want you to notice. God is real. I want you to notice what David does not do in this psalm. He, even though he says the fool and has said, has said in his heart there is no God... David does not turn around and try to prove God. In fact, the Bible is not a proof that God exists. He's not, the Bible's purpose is not designed to say, here is God. It, is, it already assumes the, the, the existence of God. I want you to notice what David does in this chapter. Because uh, here we find the, the assumption of God. In verse number 2, he says, the Lord looks down from heaven. In verse number five, he says, for God is with the generation of the righteous. In verse number six, he says, the Lord is his refuge. It is the assumption of God's existence. He doesn't try to prove God's existence. He assumes God exists. Now, there are those who say, oh, you always have to resort back to some sort of assumption of God, some sort of creator. No, I don't believe that. They'll, they'll say, I don't believe that at all. Evolution's the way. We are simply the product of biology. A man by the name of Fred Hoyle, uh, who was a professor, an atheistic professor at Cambridge, did, did calculations with another mathematician on how do you get a single cell to come into being by pure coincidence. According to this professor, uh, it would take uh, 10 to the 40th 40,000th power. Now, if you know how powers work in math, to the 40,000th power uh, in order to get uh, a, a cell to come into existence by pure chance. That number, 10 to the 40,000th power, is an impossibility. In fact, a noted Swiss, Swiss mathematician, Denoy, said that anything over the 50th power, anything over the 50th power, would never happen cosmically. It's too big of a chance. It's too, it's, it, it's too big of a coincidence. 10 to the 50th power, according to that mathematician, will never happen in the cosmos, in the universe. But we have this other one who says, well, a cell coming into being by simple chance is not 10 to the 50th power. It's 10 to the 40,000th power. 
Now, it's far beyond 10 to the 50th power. Now, I know I'm using some math terms, but what these scientists have come to the conclusion is that there's no possible way by chance that life can come into existence. It's just, you know, one person illustrated this way. Uh, it's like taking the letters of the alphabet, throwing them in the air, having them come down, and they form an unabridged encyclopedia by chance. An unabridged dictionary, rather, by, by chance. If you throw letters up in the air, you know what you're going to get? A mess. That's, that's all you're going to get. It's not going to come down and form a dictionary. Uh, it's just not. Uh, that, but, but if they did, that's the chance it would take for life to come into existence just by pure, pure coincidence or chance. Fred Hoyle, as I said, he was an atheistic professor at Cambridge. He finally came to, to a realization that God exists. That God is sovereign. That God's in, God is in control. He gave his heart and life to God. It wasn't because of all the preachers who were out preaching. He came to his own investigation. Realized what the numbers would be. Realized that those numbers are an absolute impossibility. And said, you know what? There has to be a creator behind the creation. That chance cannot explain the fact that we are here. So Hoyle came to that evolution, uh, came to that conclusion that evolution cannot explain the source of life, and therefore he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, some will ask me, well, you've talked about the Bible, you've talked about this particular psalm. How do you, Rich Roberts, how do you know that God exists? How do you know that God is real? Look at the end of verse number five. This is how I know. For God is with the generation of the righteous. I believe in God not only because the Bible said so. I believe in God not only because of the testimony of others. I believe in God not only because of the influences my family, friends, and church family has had upon me. I believe in God because I know him for myself. I met him for myself when I was 10 years old. I prayed at an altar of prayer at a little church in Chatteroy, West Virginia. I went to an altar. I, in fact, I don't know if I was saved December 31st of 76 or January 1st of 77. I was in a watch night service, and I don't really know which side of midnight I was on. Wherever that altar call took place, it may have been just before midnight. It may have been just after midnight. I don't, I don't technically know uh, if it was 76 or 1977 that I got saved, but I know I was 10 years old. And I went to an altar of prayer. Uh, and I was like a lot of people. I was white knuckling the pew before I went up there going, no, 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 no. I'm not going up there. I'm not going to be embarrassed. It's not going to happen to me. And uh, I, don't, I don't think I made it to the altar before I got saved. Because when I let go and I decided to walk up front, I believe it already happened. Uh, I went to the altar. And here's this kid at the altar. And sometimes people do not pay, pay much attention to kids at the altar, uh, sadly to say. But I was totally devout and resolute in what I was praying. And I said, Lord, I've sinned. I've done things wrong. Would you forgive me? That, I, it was like half the church was around me praying for me at that moment. And they, they, they were not there to criticize or to tear down. They were there to lift me up in prayer. When I finally got up and looked around the number of people around me praying for me, uh, it just excited my heart to know I had some people who cared about me as a little 10-year-old kid. Little did they know that I'd turn out to be a preacher and a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the spiritual impact that has taken place in my life from that point to now 
the influence that God has permitted me to have to reach out to others with the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is the one who saves and Jesus loves and that he's permitted me a little humble person, a well, big humble person, to be able to, to share that good news that God's allowed me to do that. They didn't know when I was 10 years old that that would happen. Uh, but God has given me that, that, that wonderful ability because I met him for myself. I talk to him every day. And I'm not talking to the air. It's not some sort of emotional venting. I know he hears me because he answers my prayer. He, he doesn't always answer in the way I want, but he answers my prayer. Uh, he's always there for me. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I haven't done things wrong since that, you know, since that time when I was 10 years old, that I haven't sinned, that I haven't done things that I'm ashamed of, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've done things I'm ashamed of. I've done things I have sinned, but here's the wonderful thing. Even in my deepest valley, even in the times when I have sinned beyond what I thought God would ever tolerate. You want to know what? He loves me and he cares for me and he, and he just lifts me up with his hand. And many times when I can't do it myself, he does it for me. He's right there for me. How do I know that God exists? I met him for myself. Hebrews 11.1, that wonderful statement of what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are some words in that verse that many times Christians fail to look at. And I want to just point them out as we end this lesson. It says faith is the substance. The Greek word is hypostasis. And it means substance, matter, or reality. Substance, matter, or reality. Faith is the substance, matter, or reality of the things I hope for. And then it says, faith is the evidence. The Greek word is elenkos. It means proof, evidence, or proof. Faith is the substance, matter, reality, evidence, and proof of the things hoped for and not seen. I've never been to heaven. I don't know what heaven looks like except for the biblical description. But there's no doubt in my mind, in my heart, in my soul that heaven exists. Because faith is the evidence, matter, reality, evidence, and proof that heaven exists. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the matter and reality of God's existence. I know, I know, I know, I know my God is real. I hope you've enjoyed this first lesson of our theology study, the reality of God. I hope it's touched you to keep your, your heart and mind focused upon him. I want to end this lesson in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. Uh, just the fact that we can bow in prayer and say those simple words, Father, I love you. Evidence that you are real. You are real to us, God. We know you are there. We are awaiting that day as the apostle Paul, when we see you face to face. We are awaiting that day when we walk into your throne room and we're able to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, where we are. We are able to walk into you to converse and fellowship with you throughout all of eternity. I ask now for your divine blessing upon all of the people listening to this CD or watching this video. I pray, Lord, that you touch them, that you touch their families, that you bless them, Lord, especially in this time of crisis, that you undergird and strengthen them. We give you honor and praise for this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We hope you enjoyed, were enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from our adult Sunday school class. Each week, these Sunday school lessons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday school videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel 
just subscribe to the channel and be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. For audio, you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. You can also find these audio recordings on our website free to download. Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.